thank you for this wonderful day, this first day of our week, this first day of this month of July. Lord, we thank you that on this day, we have the joy of gathering together as your people into your presence just to say thank you for your love and grace, to remember that our lives are not about who we are or what we do, but about who you are, what you have done, and what you still do for all who believe in you. God, we thank you for the hope that we have in you because of Jesus, our Savior, who loved us and gave himself for us, who stands even now interceding for us, God. We thank you, Lord, for the great salvation that you have provided for all who believe in you. God, our hope is in you, and we just declare that today. Lord, we need you today. That's why we're here. We're here to say thank you, and we're here once again to come and just give ourselves to you in faith and surrender, Lord, telling you, Lord, that you are our life. God, we thank you for this precious day. God, we are all made by you, and we're all made for you. And today, no matter what we're going through, God, you know us, and you know exactly where we are and what we need. You see us, and you see our hearts. And Lord, today, your Holy Spirit is with us, and you are powerful to work And Lord, your word is alive and you are powerful to speak. So we're giving you our hearts today and we're asking for your presence today and we're thanking you for your promise today. We are covered by your grace. We thank you, praying all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Church, it's good to see you this morning. I'm Barrett, one of the pastors here. If you're new today, welcome. So glad that you're here. If you got your Bibles, you can open them up. This morning to the book of Exodus. Yes, we are changing our book. We've been at Genesis the last few weeks, but this morning we're continuing a series called Your Name. And we have been walking through in the last few weeks uh, some of the names of God. And if you haven't been here, I'll just go ahead and tell you a little bit about why we're doing this. We're doing this because our heart as a church and our heart as people of God is to know God more. Uh, we really believe and know based on the truth of the scripture that God has made us for one purpose and that is to know him. And it is our deep and genuine heart to want to know God more. And we can do that. Uh, We have the opportunity, the invitation to do that. Jesus came for this very purpose that we might have life. He prayed, uh, John chapter 17, one of the prayers that we've talked about before. He said, you know, this is eternal life that they might know you, the true and living God and Jesus Christ whom you sent. This is life. Life is, you know, we, we, we get excited about going out of town. Some of us are excited about, you know, day off this week. We get excited about a lot of things, and a lot of things make life great. But let me tell you what makes life really worth living. Life is worth living because we have an opportunity to have relationship with God. That is true life is relationship with God. So that's our heart, to know God more. And in this series, what we're doing is going through some of the names of God, because in the Bible, names are significant. 
And God gives us many ways to know him by giving us different names. And each of those names help us know something about God's character, help us to know something about God's quality, and help us to know something about how to have a relationship with him. We've been talking about several verses through this series. One of them was on the intro song that we sang uh, that you heard song just a second ago from Proverbs chapter 18, verse 10. Many have memorized it. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous man runs into it and is safe. We also have been looking at a verse from Psalm chapter 20. I want to give you a new verse, though, two verses before the one that we memorized, uh, because it's interesting for our conversation today, but in several places in the Psalms and all throughout the Bible, you see this, the name of the Lord. What is he talking about? He's, he's saying there's confidence in knowing something of who God is, what he is like, and what it looks like to have a relationship with him. And in Psalm chapter 20, verse 5, it says, May we shout for joy over your salvation, God, and in the name of God, set up our banners. May the Lord fulfill all your petitions. And then in verse 7, the one we've been memorizing, some trust in chariots and some in horses, but... We trust in the name of the Lord our God. Our very confidence, our very hope is in God himself. And his names help us to know something of God. Well, this morning, uh, did I tell you where to turn in Exodus or did I just say Exodus? I just said Exodus. And you guys are just like, okay, I'll just turn to wherever. Um, chapter 17, you could go and put your finger in there. Chapter 17, this morning, we're going to be looking at a new name of God. And I hope you'll take notes this morning. I always love teaching the scripture, but I, I want your reliance not to be on just what I'm saying. I want your reliance to be on the word, and I want your reliance to be on the time you spend in God's word and meditating on God's word and applying God's word in your daily life. So taking notes is always a good idea. This morning, if you're looking for what name we're going to be on, it is this, Jehovah Nisi. Can y'all say that with me? Jehovah Nisi. Yep, Jehovah Nisi. That's what we're going to be talking about today. I was thinking about uh, this morning before we get into our passage, there's a, there's a story. You know, uh, I am by no means a nationalist. I am an American, and I'm glad to be. I love my country. I pray for my country. But I am a kingdom citizen uh, before I'm an American citizen. And we have so many nations represented here, and we got to think broadly more than just America. Would you all agree? Okay, that's touchy, so I'll just move on. But... Um, <laughs> What, I'm, what I would like to say, though, is this week is the 4th of July. Anybody excited about that? I'm excited about it because it happens to be my birthday as well. My mom said I came out with a bang. You know what I'm saying? It's pretty funny. I'm a real live nephew of my Uncle Sam, born on the 4th of July. So now you know something about me if you didn't know it before. But Paula's doing the dance. I'm not going to do the dance for you, but it is a, it's a fun idea. Um, anyway, uh, our Star Spangled Banner... Many of you have heard it, whether you're from our country or not. I'm so glad that we have more than just Americans in our church. Praise the Lord that we are a, a church of the nations. But if you live in America, um, you've probably heard the Star Spangled Banner. Some of you might know the story behind it, but a guy named Francis Scott Key, who was a lawyer and really an amateur poet, uh, wrote it in 1814 as he reflected on the Battle of 1812. And he was at... Uh, he was in a position during that battle as the, the British Navy were attacking, the, the London Royal uh, Navy were attacking uh, around the Fort McHenry area. And he was in a position where he was able to see uh, what was going on. And 
he noticed that there was a small storm flag. Some of you might have heard this story, but there was a small storm flag that was above the fort, and there was so much activity, the bombs bursting in air. I mean, the song, right? Think about it. He wrote about it. So there's so, so much activity going on that he was trying to figure out exactly what was happening, the fire going back and forth, and what he was trying to do was he was able to keep his eyes kind of on that little storm flag because often what would happen is when an area got conquered, they would change out the flag. You, you, would, you would look at the flag kind of to, to, to get an idea of the outcome of the victory, what was happening in the midst of the fight. And the smoke was so heavy and the fire was so intense and then it became nightfall. And basically what happened was it got so distorted, his vision, that he lost sight of the storm flag. And he kind of determined going to bed that night as he recollected the story uh, that he would basically have to wait until dawn uh, to figure out what had happened in the battle. But when he rose the next morning, that small storm flag was no longer there. It had been replaced with what you see on your screen, and many of you have probably been to the Smithsonian in D.C. and seen it. It had been replaced with a much larger American flag, this one distinct with the 15 stripes and the 15 stars, but this one distinct, but the much larger American flag that had been replaced And what he knew was that looking at the flag, he knew that America had prevailed, that they had won in that particular battle. And it just gave him such encouragement and such hope. And for his particular cause and background, it it gave him so much pride and assurance of victory. Interesting story, right? For your 4th of July week, you're you're welcome. You You can sing the national anthem next time with a little bit deeper understanding maybe. You're probably going, what in the world does that have to do with this morning? And I'm kind of wondering that too. I'm just kidding. Exodus chapter 17. There is a peculiar, peculiar story that honestly, I bet that you have probably not given much attention to it. Um, It's one that I had not heard uh, people give much attention to, but it's caught my attention because of the particular focus of this series. Looking at the names of God, because in this story, and we're only going to be looking here at verses 8 through 16, but in this story, um, God reveals a name to us, Jehovah Nisi. And it's only in the context of this story that he reveals this name, but I'm just going to go ahead and tell you, this is one of my favorite little stories in the Bible And it's one of my favorite names revealed of God. And it is so, so significant for us. So I can't wait. Are y'all excited? All right. Need some more energy. All right. I'm really excited uh, to look at this together. So Exodus chapter 17, starting in verse 8. I read from the English Standard Version. On the screens if you don't have your Bible. Then Amalek came and fought with Israel at Rephidim. So Moses said to Joshua, Choose for us men and go out and fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with a staff of God in my hand. So Joshua did as Moses told him and fought with Amalek while Moses, Aaron, and her went up to the top of the hill. Whenever Moses held up his hand, 
Israel prevailed. And whenever he lowered his hand, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands grew weary. So they took a stone and put it under him. And he sat on it. While Aaron and Hur held up his hands, one on one side and the other on the other side. So his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. And Joshua overwhelmed Amalek and his people with the sword. Then the Lord said to Moses, Write this as a memorial in a book and recite it in the ears of Joshua that I will utterly blot out the memory of Amalek from under heaven. And Moses built an altar and called the name of it Jehovah Nisi. The Lord is my banner. Saying, a hand upon the throne of the Lord. The Lord will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. Anybody ever heard this little story? Maybe you've read it before. We're going to spend some time in it today. It is such an interesting story, but like I said, has so much significance and impact for us and our lives as we live in relationship with God. So what's happening here, just to set up a little bit of context, because uh, context, I mean, a, a passage without context easily leads to kind of like a proof text, and that's not what we want. What, what you have here is the people of God. So we fast-forwarded in the story from where we have been in the last few weeks, right? God has formed together his people. He has fulfilled the promise that he's made to Abraham. His people are now, have, have been living in Egypt, and by this point in the narrative, God had raised up a deliverer, Moses, one who would stand on behalf of God, would pronounce his judgment against those who were against the people of God, would tell them that they were going to have to let the people go, and then when they refused, God said, I'm going to do it by great power for my glory. And in fact, that's what we see happen in the scriptures. Many of you know that narrative that God delivered the people of Israel who had been held bondage for so long. Uh, He delivered them by his great power out of Egypt. And he was moving them toward the promised land. And that's exactly where we encounter them here in Exodus chapter 17. Basically what's happened is the people of God are moving in these big camp-like units uh, through the wilderness out of Egypt on their way to the promised land. And interestingly, you know... Um, in, the, in the chapters leading up to this, they've, they've had some interesting things happen. You know, people quickly forget they're just like us. I mean, God's just saved them and delivered them. But then they turn around and they go, we're hungry. Where are we ever going to get food? We're thirsty, Moses. Where are we ever? And they, they start doubting and distrusting God and complaining. And God shows aspects of himself again and again, how God's going to provide for them on a daily basis. And in a miraculous way, he, he has... Uh, Moses hit a rock and water flows from it. And what we're going to look at next week is that there's another passage where he takes water and and he does something miraculous to it so it becomes drinkable again. And God is taking care of, of his people. 
But interestingly, as we get to chapter 17, now if, if you just think about it, um, this is a big moment here. Verse 8 is like, what? I mean, we, re- we have the privilege of reading the whole thing in just a few short verses, but this is a significant moment for the people of, it, of God as they're walking by faith out of Egypt toward the promised land. Then, suddenly, Amalek came to fight with Israel at Rephidim. What we know is um, Amalek, anybody remember who Amalek is? Amalek is a grandson of Esau, okay? So this is the grandson of Esau and their descendants, and they are known throughout the scripture. Um, In fact, Balaam talks about in the book of Numbers there, the, the, the first enemy of Israel. They are an arch enemy of Israel throughout the Old Testament. But here for the first time, the people of God become opposed by a a real tangible enemy. Now, I don't know exactly what caused Amalek to want to fight, but they're probably a little bit jealous. They're probably a little bit nervous. They're probably wanting to prove themselves or to protect their territory, right? But regardless, what we know is they are coming after Israel. Now, what was Israel, what were the people of God doing before they get to this moment? What were they doing in Egypt? They were slaves, but they were doing what? Making bricks, (laughs) if you read the Exodus account. So here's a people who, they're not trained to be soldiers. I'm looking around the room today, and I'm thinking, if we got attacked this morning, the vast majority of us would go, you want to have an intellectual debate? (laughs) We're not very prepared for the whole weaponry thing, but let's talk about it. Right? We might, we might wage our warfare in a different way. The same is true with the people of God here in Egypt. I mean, they're not the army type, okay? Um, they're not necessarily the ones who you're thinking have that expertise. And you think about it. They don't have supplies, most likely. They don't have training in this, most likely. They definitely don't have experience in this, most likely. They don't know the land that they're walking through, most likely. I mean, this is a tough, a tough Situation, But interestingly, they don't respond with chaos and confusion. They, they seem to respond with faith and confidence. Moses says to them, verse 9, this is going somewhere, so hang with me. Interesting, interesting story. So Moses says to Joshua, we have an appearance of Joshua who we know is going to continue to be a prominent figure, a man of faith and courage throughout the Old Testament. But he says to Joshua, choose for us, Joshua, men. And I want you to go down and, and, and engage. We're not running. We're engaging. And I want you to engage and, and, and fight Amalek. And tomorrow, he says, I'm looking now at verse 9 here. Tomorrow, I'm going to go and I'm going to stand on top of the mountain. And in my hand, I'm going to take the, the staff of God. So, says verse 10, Joshua did that. He went down to fight. And Moses was not alone as he goes up to the top of the mountain, is he? He takes two guys with him, Aaron and her. And one of the most peculiar things, I mean, this is just kind of funny. I don't know about you. Do you think this is funny? Verse 11 and 12 is just a little bit peculiar. So when Moses holds up his hands 
Israel prevailed. But now where he lowered his hand, Amalek prevailed. So Israel suffering defeat. And they begin to realize this. And the two guys on each side are going, um, we need to keep Moses' hands up. Like, this is not working when it's getting tired. He's lowering his hands down for a drink of water or whatever. So let's put a rock under Moses. They sit him down, and they come on either side of him to help hold up his hands. And it says that they were able to keep his hands up until the end of that day. His hands, it says at the end of verse 12, were steady until the going down of the sun. And then in verse 13, we have the outcome. What happens? The people of God experience victory, which is quite an amazing feat. <laughs> the people of God overwhelmed the people of Amalek. They experience victory, and they continue, we know from the rest of the narrative, to walk toward the promise of God by faith. Now, the end of this event, God says to Moses, I want you to write this down and never, ever forget this day. This is the day that you've learned something about me. And I want all of my people, all of my people with you and all of my people that come after you that live by faith to know this about me. I am your Jehovah Nisi. says the Lord had Moses build an altar that day, and he named that place Jehovah Nisi. So, what's in the name? Jehovah Nisi. Jehovah, we know, we talked about last week. What does it mean? The self-existent one. Okay? So I'm just going to break down those two. It's a compound name. So we know that Jehovah means the self-existent one. The one who was, who is, and who is to come. The one who does not depend on anyone else for his existence, who always has been, who is today, and who always will be. He is eternal living God, and there is no one like him. It's what the name that God gave to Moses when he said, What shall I say if they ask me who sent me in Exodus 3? And God says, I am who I am. Jehovah, this is our God. Nisi, Jehovah Nisi. Nisi, in the Hebrew, you can write it down basically as this. It means a banner. Or some might call it like an enzyme. Or you could describe it as a rallying point. It's used in multiple ways throughout the scripture. But in each way, this is how it's used. So essentially what it is indicating is, in, in every use, it's indicating something that is lifted up for the sake of rallying people to it. Okay? That's the literal understanding of, of the word. Something lifted up for the sake of others being drawn to it. You can think about it in a nationalistic sense, no matter what country you're from. We're having the World Cup right now. Anybody following that? Not many Americans. Everybody that raised their hand, I'm probably international. So we didn't get in. Thanks a lot for rubbing it in our face. Just playing. Um, 
Yeah, so you could think about it in that sense. I mean, we've got flags all over the place. They march them onto the field. They sing the anthem. Everybody goes crazy. Woohoo! It's a sign of identity. It's a sign of togetherness. And hopefully, it's a sign of victory, right? You could think about it in terms of the story that I told at the beginning. That, that banner, that sign, when he looked upon the, the larger flag that had replaced the smaller storm flag, he knew that it was an assurance of victory, right? It was a rallying point. It was a sign for uh, him that day in which he penned the song. Um, you, could, you could think about it in terms of graduation. You know, you've, you've got banners often that will march down the aisle, and you've got things that are significant, things that indicate something greater is happening. This is what we're talking about when we talk about Nisi, okay? So, um, if you think about it, basically what we're saying is, when you combine the two names, Jehovah Nisi, what you're saying is, I rally behind Jehovah. And I think I've got some points here. I rally behind Jehovah. It is to him who I look. So God is the one lifted up. Jehovah Nisi, the God who is our banner, it is he who is lifted up. And by lifting him up, we rally around him. It is to him who I look. And it is him whom I will follow. Y'all track it with me? Can how we, how we get this understanding. Now, why is it revealed here, okay? What is the banner, if you think about it, in Exodus chapter 17? Um, the banner is the staff. That pecu- those peculiar verses in verses 11 and 12 are, are there to help us see something of God. What happens is Moses, it very clearly indicates that Moses takes in his hand the rod of God, the staff. And very clearly, the account indicates that when his hands were raised, his staff in his hand and his hands were raised, they had victory. When his hands were lowered, they suffered defeat. Now, this staff is not just any ordinary piece of wood. Okay, there's, it's not like a Harry Potter stick. This staff has no magic power at all. But what this staff, the reason it's significant is because this staff has been present among the people of God at some of the most momentous moments of God's power and provision on display for his people. Think about it. Moses got the staff in his hand when he announces the plagues upon Egypt. And it's the staff that is the sign of God's judgment. But not only that, it's the staff that's there as the sign of God's deliverance that Moses holds out his hands when they get to the Red Sea and they have no idea where they're going to go. Enemies on their tail. And all they have is faith. And God proves to them, yes, I will deliver you. That great parting of the Red Sea, the sign that for generations people looked back and said, God is our salvation. He is our deliverer. It was the staff in Moses' hands through that. It was the staff 
that God instructed for Moses to hit the rock and the water came out. It was the staff that God said to Moses, put it into the water and I will make it drinkable for the people. The staff of God, I put some points here, a symbol of God's presence and power and work, a signal for God's people to rally to him, a sign of deliverance and salvation. And don't miss this, a reminder that faith in God, faith in God, only faith in God is our assurance of victory. All of this significant in the midst of the battle. So what you have is, basically, if you can imagine yourself in the middle of this battle, okay, kind of in between mountains, and the people of God get confronted after they've been saved, delivered out of Egypt, the people of God get confronted with an enemy. And looking, at, looking around, you're going, oh, gee, we are toast. I'm not seeing the kind of muscles I'd like to see on him. We don't know what to do. This is not good, right? I mean, if you're, if you're just among the people of Egypt, you've got to be going, what? We're sunk here. No way. And they begin to engage in the battle. But interestingly, as you're engaging in the battle, suddenly you get a glimpse of the mountain. And you see the outline of the one who has been your leader by faith as you've followed the Lord. And you see in his hands, he's holding the very instrument through which God has been powerfully working. This instrument has been present and a sign a symbol of God's great power and provision all the way. And suddenly you remember, gosh, we were slaves in Egypt. God delivered us by his great hand. This is not about what we can do. This is about what God can do. This is not about our background, our experience, our resources, our training, our supplies, our capability. No, this is about God. This is about what God is capable of doing. This is about what God desires, what God can sh- how he can show up for his own glory. My job is not to focus on what's in front of me. My job is to focus on God. And what we know is, I really believe this is why it's significant. As his hands are going up, the people are able to focus themselves upon the Lord. And remember that it's not about them, it's about him. But as his hands went down, the people were more prone to engage with what's right in front of them. Begin to battle according to their flesh and their own power and their own capability rather than battling according to faith. And what happened is Moses, I mean, Aaron and her get a hold of it and they go, guys, we've got to keep the people's focus on the Lord. And they take his hands and they hold his hands up. And the people of God are focused upon the Lord throughout the battle. And what happens is by faith came the victory by faith. And of course, it's God. It's all of his power, but their connection to him by faith in the midst of the battle was their key to victory. And God said, never forget this. 
Never, ever, 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 ever forget this moment. That in the battles I call you to fight, you're not fighting for victory. You're fighting from victory. The battle is not yours. The battle is mine. And I am powerful to win the battle every time. Your job is not to figure out how you're going to win. Your job is to trust that I have already won. And to connect with me by keeping your eyes upon me, your faith in me, your hope and confidence in me, and let me do what I do best work on behalf of all who trust in me. That's what God said. Never, ever, ever forget this moment. I, the Lord, am your banner. The one lifted up to whom my people can rally and find victory. Now, now, now. It's a cool story, right? Have I lost anybody? If so, can I have you back? So, cool story, Barrett. Pastor Barrett, this is great. What does that have to do with me? Well, if you haven't already gotten there, let me help you a little bit. We too are in battle, aren't we? Amalek in the Old Testament is the constant picture of the flesh. Constant picture of the flesh. And we know that we're in a battle. You see, after we're saved, some people think that Christianity is just all about salvation, but really Christianity is about a relationship with Jesus. There is a starting point in which we, we need to repent of our sin and trust in Jesus, to ask for his forgiveness and receive the wonderful gift of salvation by his grace as we trust in him, knowing that we cannot save ourselves, but only he can save us. It's the exodus moment, the deliverance moment out of Egypt. All of us need to experience that redemption in Jesus. But you know what? Our, our Christian life is a relationship with Jesus. It doesn't stop at salvation, but it continues. And God is wanting us always to grow in trusting him as we follow him by life, in life. That we grow as we trust him more. And he's always at work to bring us closer and closer to himself. A process that we call sanctification. But much of our Christian life does look like warfare, does it not? I mean, the Bible uses some pretty strong warfare terms. For instance, like in Galatians chapter 5, it says that the spirit is... Here, I will just read it. Verse 17. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. Paul speaks to this in other places as well, but we know is that often in our lives we are faced with what feels like a battle, does it not? It feels like a choice between following God and following the world. We know that there are so many temptations in the world, the pride of the flesh, pride of the eyes, the lust of life, right? We, we know that there is so many temptations in the world and we're faced with these battles on a daily basis. If anybody does not admit to this, then you're just not being honest with yourself, the Lord, or anybody else. You struggle. There is a struggle. We battle on a daily basis. We have an Amalek come against us. And God is warning us to live, surrender to him by faith in him, obediently and wholly unto him. But there is this battle. We also know just that in the world, like Jesus said in John chapter 16, verse 33, he says, you know, in the world, you will have 
trouble. Anybody battle just circumstances in life? Or maybe it's not anything of your own doing, but it just feels like life is hard sometimes. Relationships are hard sometimes. Family, if you're here with them, you can't say amen, but family can be hard sometimes. Friends can be hard sometimes. Work can be hard sometimes. Health, money. I mean, you name it. We could go through, but you know the battles that we face. There are battles. We, we need to understand that. And also, we got to understand what Jesus teaches us in Ephesians chapter 6. That there is a warfare on an additional level with an enemy who does want to steal and kill and destroy us. And that's why in Ephesians 6, Paul tells us, he said, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. There is a battle. And we are ignorant, perhaps foolish, if we're not aware of the reality that in our lives, as we follow God by faith, as we're moving toward the place of his promise, we are ignorant or foolish if we're not aware of the battles that come against us, the real ones, against our own flesh, things in the world, Things of Satan, the battle is real. For this reason, I believe this situation happened to the people of God. That they might learn something they needed to know and that we might learn something that we needed to know. We participate, yes, in the warfare, but listen. Failure comes and depending upon our strength alone. Our key to victory is by depending upon the Lord, which is what Psalm 118 verse 6 says, God is with me and therefore I am not afraid. We are in a battle though. We are. Now the question is for us today. It's a fun one. What is our banner? I mean, you gotta think about it, right? Like, what is our banner? God had Moses go up with a rod in his hand. And clearly, that is the banner. They were looking up to to that, and they were remembering the Lord. What is our banner today? And I will tell you, uh, our banner is Jesus Christ. Isaiah chapter 11. Such a cool scripture verse. Such an amazing scripture verse that God gives us. God speaks... I hope you'll write this reference down and go look at it later. Don't just trust, again, what I'm telling you, but let your confidence be in God's Word because God's Word is just so good, guys. It's just amazing. God comes to the people of God through the prophet Isaiah, and he speaks of something that he's going to do in the future. And he says to them in verse 10, In that day, the root of Jesse... Who shall stand as a nisi, excuse me, a signal. I just used the original Hebrew word. Same word. He will stand as a banner, a signal, an inside, a rod. For the peoples of him shall the nations inquire, and his resting place shall be glorious. Go to verse 12. 
in that day. He will raise a signal, a nisi, for the nations and will assemble the banished of Israel and gather the dispersed of Judah from the four corners of the earth. (laughs) In that day, the root of Jesse will stand as a signal for the peoples. God's saying, there's a day coming who I'm going to send one. You're going to know him. And forever and for always, he's going to be the one that stands on top of the mountain as a forever and for always signal to all of my people that I am a faithful and able God. He will come from the root of Jesse. In Romans 1, Paul connects so that we have no questions who this person is. Romans 1 and verses 1 to 3. He says, I'm Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel, the good news of God. Oh, yeah, which he promised beforehand through his prophets. Isaiah 11. Through his prophets and the Holy Scriptures concerning his son. Who's he talking about? Jesus. Who was descended from who? David. Where's David from? Jesse. Okay? Descended from Jesse according to the flesh and was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the Spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. In other words, he says, Hello, I'm Paul. I want to be the deliverer of some good, good news for you. The one who got promised by the prophet Isaiah who would forever stand as the signal for God's people that you can trust him forever and for always, he's here. His name is Jesus, and he did come from the root of Jesse, and he did raise from the dead, and he will forever be standing as the Son of God in living power, and you can look to him and trust him as the assurance of your victory. Amen? Amen. This is what Paul's saying. What great news. Jesus himself in several places, you know, he helps us to know uh, that this is truly who he is and what he came to do. Like I said earlier in John chapter 16, he says, in this world you will have trouble. But what does he say right after that? But take heart. In other words, have courage. In other words, um, you're going to face an Amalek. But don't freak out. For why? For I will stand as your banner. Take heart, for victory is mine. I have overcome the world. In other words, in any and every situation that you find yourself battling, it is not yours to battle alone. You don't fight for victory. You fight from victory. He is the guarantee that faith in him is always going to result in goodness for his people now and forevermore. This is good news, folks, right? Matthew chapter 28, as Jesus goes and he gives the Great Commission. Some of us love it. You know, we love the Great Commission. We, we know that we're called to make disciples. That's what we're about as a church. We make disciples. Here in the Great Commission, there's a bookends. There's two bookends that he gives in the, in the middle of the commandment. And this is the way all of God's commands work, just, by, just so you know. Every time you find a command in Scripture, you see an invitation to watch God work through your life. Commands are not meant to be followed on their own. You can't obey the Lord 
on your own strength. The only way to obey is to trust in the strength that he supplies. And here we have a command, go and make disciples. But before and after, he says this, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. In other words, I got this. I'm, I'm victorious. I, I'm over everything. All authority has been given to me. Therefore, go make disciples, baptizing them, teaching them to observe all I've commanded you. And then he bookends it on the others, and then he says what? And lo, I am with you. When? Always. Even to the ends of the age. In other words, in the life that I'm calling you to live, my people, I'm calling you to live it with a recognition that I'm over everything. All power is mine. And I'm not leaving you alone. Stop moping around, feeling discouraged, feeling like you're overwhelmed and overcome. No, I am with you always. And my name is Jehovah Nisi. I am your banner. You're the one who's been lifted up for you to rally to me by faith. You see? Should I keep going? I'm feeling like I should keep going because I'm not seeing the joy and amazement in God on your faces yet. I'm just playing, by the way. I say things like this, and then later Michelle says, you shouldn't have said that, baby. It makes people feel bad. Here, I hear, I'll, I'll, I'll try to close with this. I say try to close because usually I have about three closings. I'll try to close with this. This is probably the most significant thing, and I really mean this. That I, I think this is the climax of our understanding of, of our banner today. Jesus, in John chapter 3, okay? You can flip there if you want, but at least write the reference down. John chapter 3. Verses 14 to 15. He says something. He's referencing another incident in numbers very similar to the incident we see here in Exodus. But he says, as Moses lifted up. Here we are again, picture something lifted up. As Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness. It's another story that I teach another day. But he says, so must the Son of Man be Lifted up. In other words, the Son of Man must be made a Nisi, a banner. The Son of Man must be raised up that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. In other words, that whoever rallies to him, who looks to him, who, who comes to him as their deliverer may have eternal life. And friends, what we know is that the cross of Jesus Christ is the ultimate sign, is it not? It's the ultimate sign in the hand of God. We don't have Moses lifting up a staff. We have Jesus who took on a cross. The cross of Jesus. Because we know that Jesus came to live for our righteousness and ultimately he came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. He came to lay his life down for his friends. Who are his friends? All who believe in him. He came to take our place, like we talked about last week. And on the cross, the love and grace of God on full display, taking the judgment for our sin and offering forgiveness for all who believe. 
And he says, it is finished. The ultimate cry of victory. Like I said, we're not fighting for victory. Friends, on the cross, victory has already been won. Praise God forever and ever. And I, I don't know this for absolute, but I think it is very, very interesting that in Exodus chapter 17, God had Moses go up to a mountain. And he didn't just go alone. He went with one, no two. And he was forced to outstretch his hands. And he was so tired that he could no longer keep him up by himself. And he had two men come on either side. And as the people of God were battling, they looked upon a mountain and saw in some way a foreshadowing of the cross of Jesus Christ, the mountain of Calvary. Where the ultimate Jehovah Nisi would stand as a sign, as a signal, as a symbol forevermore, the ultimate sign of God's forever and for always victory for all who trust in him. So that, friends, in the battle of our life, our focus is not on what's right in front of us, but our focus is upward on the Lord Jesus who loves me and lived for me and died for me and, yes, went to the grave, but he didn't stay there. He rose again three days later, and he stands forever in victory. Amen? He is victorious, and he is my banner. No wonder that Paul says in Hebrews chapter 12, no wonder. Think about it. Therefore... Since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and every sin which clings so closely. Battle terms here. Let us battle and let us run with endurance the race that's set before us. How do we do it? Here's the key. Looking to Jesus. I almost wonder, is your, Paul, are you thinking about, or whoever wrote Hebrews, are you thinking about Exodus 17? Therefore, in the midst of your battle, fix your eyes upon the mountain of Calvary. Look at Jesus. Don't look at yourself. Don't look at your situation. Don't look at your ability. But look at Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, he says in verse 2. For the joy that was set before him endured the cross despising the shame and is seated in place of victory at the right hand of the throne of God. And then in verse 3, he tells us, consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In other words, God knows our lives. He knows what he's called us toward. He saved us, and now we're following by faith, and he knows the battles that we are going to be in. And what he says is, friends, in the midst of those specific situations, look to Jesus. Keep your eyes on Jesus so that you do not grow weary or discouraged. So you not forget. Look to him who lived 
and died and rose for you. He will be your forever Jehovah Nisi. Amen? In closing, this is for real. I just want to know. I just want to know. What battles do you face? What are the things that you struggle with? What sins do you fight? What has God called you to? Where is he leading you by promise? What I know is that all of us, all of us, if you're serious about walking with God, you're going to face struggle. What is yours? Maybe you need to think through that this week. This afternoon, talk about it as a family or with your friends at lunch. Here are the specific areas that I'm battling, that I'm struggling, that I'm feeling like I could be overwhelmed. I know that all of us, this is what I know, all of us face that. What I don't know, here's what I don't know. Only you and God know this. Here's what I don't know. Where is your focus? In the midst of what you're facing, where is your focus? And where is your reliance? Are you more focused on yourself and what you can do and how you can figure it out, how you can control it, how you can muster up the strength for it, how you can endure it, blah, blah, blah? Or are you heeding the admonition of Scripture? Just keep, fix your eyes on Jesus. Are you more relying on yourself, maybe other people, maybe money or job or capability or background or connections? Look, are you more relying on something else or are you relying on God himself? God is inviting you. He's inviting you. He's saying, I have Moses write this down for you. That you would know that I, I am your Jehovah Nisi. I, I want you to look to Jesus. Look to the cross. Look to how he's interceding for you even right now. Forever and for always, you can know that in the midst of your battle, your focus can be on me and your faith, your reliance should be in me. Watch what I can do. Watch what I can do. I am the one lifted up to whom I want my people to help. As we close this morning, I just ask that you get in a posture where you could just surrender these things before the Lord. I mean, God is such an amazing and glorious God. He's amazing. But we we have to make the choice to trust and follow him. I'll just remind you, you know, the people of God were not ready in their own for the battle. They just, they didn't have what they needed. But God did. And that's exactly why I put them in that situation. God, God wants you this morning to just lay your struggle, your battle, your feelings down before him and just call out to him, God, I want you. I want you to be my focus. I want you to be my faith. God, I'm I'm just asking today that I surrender all of my battles, all of my struggles, all of my temptations. I'm just surrendering them over to you. All the things that you've even called me to, I'm surrendering them to you, knowing that the only hope for victory is not in me, but in you and you alone. You are my Jehovah Nisi, and I thank you that you've been raised up 
then I might trust and follow you. God, we thank you for this day and all the ways that right now, right now, in specific ways, you're speaking and working. Holy Spirit, we're surrendering to you. We're surrendering to you. Overwhelm our fear. Overwhelm our discouragement. Overwhelm our pride. Lord, we need you. The only way forward is in you. I'm here if you want to make a decision for Christ. If you want to pray with someone about anything, maybe a specific battle that you're facing, I'm here. There's prayer counselors moving to the back. This is a time for us to just pray and respond to God. Don't delay what God's calling.